Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... The number one thing that's helped my development, my growth, and definitely my mental health has been surrounding myself with other people who are on the same journey as me. They could be a couple of steps behind me, on the same step as me, or a couple of steps in front of me. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 395 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today we're speaking with Michael Lim. Michael Lim's entrepreneurial journey is characterized by his passion for social impact and his dedication to making a difference in his local community in Melbourne's West. As a three-time award-winning social entrepreneur, he's been acknowledged for his innovative and impactful work across a range of industries, such as health, education, employment, and social enterprise. He's currently the founder and managing director of Beyond Value, a social impact consultancy helping organizations do more good. Through Beyond Value, he collaborates with a diverse range of clients, providing strategic guidance, advisory services, and developing programs and initiatives that align with their social missions. Prior to this role, Michael was a director at YLab Global and previously the CEO of Community Health Advancement and Student Engagement, or CHASE. Under Michael's leadership, CHASE worked with over 1,000 students in schools across Melbourne's West and received the inaugural We Are Brimbank Leadership Award in 2018. Michael was the youngest member to be appointed by the Minister for Suburban Development to be a board member of the Tarnit Revitalisation Board, Melton Revitalisation Board and Western Metropolitan Partnership, where he's currently the chair of the Jobs and Skills Working Group. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss a little bit about Michael's journey in setting up Beyond Value, some of the challenges along the way and opportunities for other social impact entrepreneurs Michael, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. I've listened to this podcast for quite a long time, so it's a bit surreal that I'm now on it. So thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure, Michael. It's been great to watch your journey as you evolve too. So let's talk a bit about that and ultimately to kick off what it was that led to this passion of yours in social impact. Tell us a bit about your background. So this passion in social impact is actually deeply personal. You might not believe it, but in year nine, I was a pretty terrible student. So when I was 15 years old, I was classified at risk of not actually finishing high school. I had poor behavior, poor grades, and I did not get along with any of my teachers at school. Wow. And it was a program in year 10 that aimed to re-engage disenfranchised young men back into the education system where you would see your teachers as mentors, you would pitch what you would like to learn as part of this one-year program in year 10, and then you would have to pitch that back to your teachers, your parents, and the school principal. So this was the first time in my whole education career, you could say, where I was actually asked, 
what do I want to learn and how mm. do I want to learn it? And I was given the opportunity to not only take responsibility, but ownership and accountability over my education. And this one year program did so many things for my life. It got me back on track with education, really made me explore how systems work and also how I could have a career in social impact. The lessons that I took from this one year program when I was 15, 16 years old was essentially how systems work and how they impact real people in them. I didn't know this at the time, but my work in systems change really was founded on this experience. And how I started to see systems and what I went through was that every system has three components. So you've got the actual components of the system, you've got the relationships of the system, and then you've also got the purpose of the system. If you look at a tree, as an example, the components of a tree are its leaves, branches, bark, and its roots. The relationships are the veins and arteries inside that deliver nutrients from the roots all the way up to the branches and then the leaves or vice yeah. versa. And then the purpose of a tree, if I were to ask you what that is, would be to inhale carbon dioxide and exhale oxygen. But if we change the purpose of a tree, we fundamentally change the whole system. So if every tree instead was inhaling oxygen and exhaling carbon dioxide, we would cut down every single tree there would be in the world just because it was taking up too much oxygen. And that was the same thing that I experienced in my education. I was fundamentally still in the same school. I still had the same teachers. I was in the same classrooms and with the same peer group. The components of the system were exactly the same. Yep. The relationships I shared to my fellow students and to my teachers was also fundamentally the same. But what changed it for me in that program was actually the purpose of the education experience. Mm. Up until year nine, I really only had a compliance-based purpose of education, which yep. was learn this, do this test, do well, move on. Yep. It's essentially all I experienced. Yep. And that felt like the purpose of it. So I couldn't really see the purpose of how this would impact my life. But in year 10 and in that NIDAL program, the purpose of education fundamentally changed. It became about what type of man or what type of person do I want to become as part of this program. And the change of purpose had fundamentally different outcomes to what I experienced before. And that's why I've continued this journey into social impact and looking at how systems impact people and how if we change the systems, most of the symptoms that we experience as part of that system will also change. Mm. There's some great learnings there, Michael, and it just shows the huge value and importance of those types of programs that really help people to discover what their purpose is and give them that strong, deep sense of ownership over it and help them enact on that. Yeah, exactly. I think without that program, I really don't think I would be where I'm at in my life right now. Mm. My own lived experience of a system helps me to inform how I put that into the practice of my own social impact. Yeah. How, yeah. yeah. If you the challenges that a human experiences within a system can fundamentally change if you change that system. Yes. So I'm really passionate about looking at whatever industry I look at, what are the small leverage points that exist in a system that we could change that would have the greatest impact on the most amount of people mm. in that system. Yeah, it's great to hear. And I did mention earlier a bit about your career to date and you are the founder of Beyond Value too. Let's link these two things up. How are you using this experience then in the sort of projects you're involved in? So tell us a bit more about that. So after going through that experience in high school, I've really transferred all that experience into everything I've done since. As you mentioned before, 
I ran a not-for-profit when I was in my early 20s, community health advancement and student engagement named Chase. So that was really looking at transforming systems within the health sector. Then I worked as a director at YLab for a couple of years. And that was really looking at how can we partner with young people to be able to co-design solutions to complex social challenges. I've taken all this learning and all these experiences into actually starting up Beyond Value, which is a social impact consultancy helping businesses do more good. Some of the projects I work on range from social procurement. So this is working with tier one organizations who have been successful in their bids of large infrastructure projects to be able to put into their supply chain social enterprises so that they're procuring or purchasing directly from these organizations. Yep. On the flip side of that, I also help social enterprises with their business development strategy on how they can actually be part of these social procurement supply chains. Mm. I also work with a variety of other organizations around place-based interventions. So working with a think tank on how they can create a local jobs and skills collaboration across Melbourne's West, and also working with other organizations around communicating and position their social impact, working with mainstream businesses. I work in and around the social impact ecosystem, which is really exciting and mm. keeps it really interesting because there's a lot of different variety. And I think what draws me into the social impact space is really the people, you know, people like you, Tom, that I've got to work with for the Social Enterprise World Forum last year and the passion, the drive, the ambition that people mm. have for social impact. And the one trait I see in all social entrepreneurs and people in this space is that I think they're all unreasonable, quite frankly. And when mm. I say unreasonable, I don't mean that you're difficult to work with or you're nasty to people. I think being unreasonable means not accepting the status quo, yeah. not judging things for how they are, but for what they could be, yeah. and really being relentlessly optimistic, which that is a very powerful ingredient for changing the world, just mm. not being reasonable. Every social entrepreneur I know is very unreasonable because they refuse to accept what it is and only focus on what the world could be, which is really intoxicating and really inspiring at the same time. <laughs> it's a really good reflection. And I really agree with that, Michael. And knowing that you started Beyond Value about 12 months ago now, having worked with a lot of the earliest, early stage organizations such as Beyond Value, right? Like, I know that it's a big challenge and I've been there myself. I'm keen to learn about what have some of the key challenges been for you? What have you faced on your own entrepreneurial journey in setting up your own organization? I faced a lot in the first 12 months. I know we're chatting before this about some of the challenges I've had, but I would categorize them both in internal and external. I really believe when you start your own business or you back yourself, the external challenges you face are really just a reflection of the internal mindsets or challenges that you have. So I, for the first 12 months, really struggled with my mindset when it came to business and really understanding that the challenges that I experienced as a business challenge was really just the internal challenges I had manifesting itself as a business challenge. So all the issues that I had with my own ego, with the inability to delay gratification, with some of the insecurities that I had. Yep. Even, it sounds weird, but the relationship that I have with my parents came mm. out. 
Mm. And it was really around, okay, how can I firstly identify that this is actually the challenge that I'm facing and then work to resolve it. So a lot of the challenges that I've had around starting Beyond Value has mostly been internal, really around my mindset and how I process uncertainty, how I react to risk and some of the challenges that you inevitably face as a solo founder entrepreneur that you never would experience unless you go about it yourself. I think that's been the biggest challenge. It's been all internal. And what I've found is that any internal growth that I've had has again manifested itself as a business growth. Yeah. I don't want this to sound like he's going a bit crazy, but I firmly believe that when you start your own business, all your insecurities, all the issues you have potentially with your own ego are reflected back to you Mm. and it's how you then deal with it. So for me, entrepreneurship, social entrepreneurship is some of the highest form of psychological and mental mastery that you'll have to do just from everything on projects not going well, money not coming in, clients potentially ghosting you, contracts not working out, how you deal with them, how you respond to them is all internal and everything is about your mindset. That's very interesting, Michael, as a reflection there. So for all of the other purpose-led founders, entrepreneurs, innovators listening, what general advice then would you have for them in terms of them taking their own organizations or enterprises to the next level? I think I've said this to you before, Tom. I think we actually had a conversation about this at the Social Enterprise World Forum last year. But the biggest thing I've done to actually supercharge my own development and my development as an entrepreneur has been to find community. Yep. And I said this in a quote before in in the podcast on a previous edition. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Yeah. And the number one thing that's helped my development, my growth, and definitely my mental health has been surrounding myself with other people who are on the same journey as me. They could be a couple of steps behind me on the same step as me or a couple of steps in front of me, but just having people that you can one, either look towards two that you can teach and three that you can actually share in the challenges and problems that you've had with your own journey is just incredibly liberating. One of the other things that I really think about whenever I'm struggling is sometimes it's easier to change your environment than it is to change yourself. And your environment also includes your social environment. So if you feel like you're stuck and you're not growing, by changing your social environment and putting yourself into a community of people who are doing the same things that you are doing and want to achieve the same things that you want to achieve. I come from a migrant community. My family obviously loves me, but the path that I've chosen is very unconventional. And they don't really know what I do. So aside from just loving me as a human being, there's not much support in the way of professional support that they yeah. can give me because they really don't understand what I do. Yeah. So having people, friends, peers, colleagues, mentees, mentors who can help you through your community is the number one thing I could say for any purpose-led entrepreneur at any stage of the development will help. Whether you're a beginner, whether you're a seasoned veteran, I always think community is probably the best ROI you can get on any investment that you do. It's just so important. I think being an entrepreneur can be a a hugely lonely journey, right? And so that community is just fundamental. So you've worked with a variety of organizations, Michael. 
I'm keen to hear just like a top one or two key opportunities that you've been seeing for communities to better tackle social, cultural, or environmental problems. Yes, this answer is not going to surprise you, Tom, but I think the number one opportunity that I see, particularly in Victoria and particularly in the area of Melbourne that I live in, which is Melbourne's West, social procurement for me is one of the greatest levers that we're seeing to tackle social, cultural and environmental problems. Put very simply, social procurement is just leveraging the spend that organizations have to achieve social and environmental outcomes. You can achieve this with two ways. One is you directly purchase from a purpose-led business or a social benefit supplier. So this could be an Aboriginal business, an Australian disability enterprise, or more commonly in my field of work, a social enterprise. So these are all businesses that operate at a profit, but they have a purpose beyond that profit. This could be employment. This could be a whole range of different Mm. things, but Mm. generally it is employment. Social procurement for me in the area that I live in, we've got about $27 billion of public infrastructure investment coming into Melbourne's West. At the same time, Melbourne's West is a region that historically experienced lots of place-based disadvantage. For instance, we have one of the highest rates of youth unemployment in the country. We have one of the fastest growing populations in the country. We have some of the highest prevalence of preventable diseases across the nation. With the policy of social procurement, and the spend coming into the region, this is an opportunity to be able to leverage that spend to create meaningful employment outcomes for people across the community, not just young people, to have meaningful work and also to change their lives through these opportunities. Mm -hmm. Through social procurement, I see a number of things happening in Melbourne's West. Number one, it's the opportunity for economic development of the social enterprise sector or the social benefit supply sector, which is lacking in Melbourne's West. Number two, I think it's an opportunity to deliver excellent world-class infrastructure, such as hospitals, road or rail across the region that is coming in. And number three, and most importantly, through leveraging the spend that government and tier one organizations will have across the West, this will create jobs as well as retain jobs in sectors that traditionally don't employ women who don't really have many young people working with them. So this is providing opportunities for many people in my community that otherwise would not have access to that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite sayings from Terry Brax, who's the founder of Western Chances, is that young people in Melbourne's West don't lack talents. They only lack opportunity. Mm. So for me, social procurement presents the ability to equalize opportunity right across the community for a range of priority cohorts, whether that's women, young people, culturally and linguistically diverse communities, people living with a disability, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very powerful policy. And for me, it's more than just a policy. I actually get quite emotional when I talk about it, which sounds weird when you're talking about a piece of government policy. But I don't just see it as a policy. I see it as what it can do to transform my local community. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point. So what inspiring projects or initiatives, Michael, are you seeing? If you want to list a couple, perhaps in your local region or nationally, that are creating some great positive social change. So one of the really inspiring projects that I'm currently working on is with a think tank at the moment. And what we're looking to do is create a place-based local jobs and skills collaboration. So this is bringing together actors from right across the sector, whether it's government, not-for-profit, the private sector, 
you name it, to be able to address the place-based disadvantages to employment. It's really getting the who's who's of the West across sectors, across mm-hmm. industries coming together, saying, okay, what are the three biggest challenges that we face? Yep. And how can we have a 13-person collaboration representing different organizations really aim to break down these systemic barriers yes. and then create a new pathway that is quote unquote user friendly to young people to access, to then get opportunities into growing and emerging sectors such as tech or mm. care. This is really exciting because of the collaboration aspects. Youth unemployment is such a complex challenge that no one person no one group, no one organization, no matter how powerful or well-resourced they are, can just throw money at it to hope to solve it. Yes. The challenge of youth unemployment is so dispersed. It requires the collaboration of organizations from the job service sector, local government, state government, local governance groups, not-for-profit think tanks, you name it, to come together to actually work to create equal opportunity for young people Mm. across Melbourne's West. That's what I really see as really exciting is the collaboration aspect and how willing these organizations are to work with each other. I think what I've learned from these projects is that inspiring projects don't need to be high tech or do something fundamentally different. I think they need to have the right intention with the right people working on the right aspect of the problem to achieve some really great outcomes and some really meaningful outcomes. Mm. I think, again, going back to the general advice you'd have for purpose-led entrepreneurs, sometimes the best solutions are, in fact, low-tech that no one has actually thought of and that you don't need to create impact to a million people or 10 million people. But if you can create impact on your local community and you can see the impact that it's had, therefore completing that feedback cycle that you might not otherwise see if you're impacting a million people. That is a really great Mm. and inspiring project that I love to be a part of. And it really feels the work that I do because I can see the tangible aspects of the day-to-day mixed to the long-term impact that we want to have as a collaboration, which is really exciting. Yeah, yeah. Some great thoughts there, Michael. So to wrap up then... What books or resources would you recommend to our listeners? There are three books that I read religiously every year. Number one is Lean Impact by Mm. Ian May Chang. And this is riffing off Eric Reese's book, The Lean Startup. So it's really looking at if you have an idea or a project or a challenge that you want to solve, this book really provides the roadmap to be able to think through that challenge Mm. and also how you can create a really quick, minimal, viable product. Yeah to be able to test your hypothesis. When you get into this social change space, you're really marrying the problem. You're not marrying the solution. Mm. Your solution is just an hypothesis to solving the challenge. Yes. So get ready to marry your problem and get ready to iterate on your solution because that's going to happen time and time again. The second book that I reread religiously is Range by David Epstein. It just really demonstrates that Whatever experience you have, you can embed into the next job or career or project that you're working on. And if you do make drastic changes or pivots, you're not starting from nothing. You're actually starting from lots of experience. Yeah. So really embed that into what you do. Um, And the third one, and this is just for more general self-helpy, self-improvement advice, is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Number one book that has really changed how I approach 
what I do on a day-to-day and how small 1% changes in your day-to-day can drastically improve your happiness and mental health over the long term. And for any entrepreneur, we're in an infinite game. So the game that we're playing is that we want to keep playing. So in order to keep playing, you need to be physically healthy, mentally healthy to keep going. So that book has been the number one thing that's helped me overcome burnout, stress, as well as difficult challenges in my life. That's a fantastic way to wrap up our conversation today, Michael. Thank you so much for sharing your really generous insights and time today. I really do appreciate it. And I can't wait to follow your journey as you continue as one of our next leaders, really, in creating some great positive local change, not just in your community, but nationally and globally. Thanks again. No, thank you, Tom. Without the information and knowledge and content that you produce, I think a lot of young people out there who are interested in this space would be a bit more lost without the work that you do, the work that Impact Boom does, and the work that your team does. So thank you. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people, and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.